This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That The first obvious question I've got for you You were born in Scotland in the Montrose area But you leave Scotland at a young age What was your upbringing like from a football point of view? Um, well, when I was in Montrose I left there when I was seven years of age Because my dad moved down to Hartlepool in the northeast of England To find work Because there was no work in Montrose at that time So the family eventually moved down and joined him um, in Hartlepool um, and I moved there when I was seven years of age. Um, and then obviously went to junior school. There was no football there. Um, and then past my 11 plus, went to grammar school and there was no football there. So I captained the cricket team for three years and I captained the rugby team for three years and I wanted to be a tennis player. Wow. And, and the, the, school, the school was called Henry Smith Grammar School in Hartlepool. In terms of yourself, obviously with the ambitions to to play tennis, how did you end up getting into to football and managing to progress to being a professional? Well, my dad ended up getting a job working in Ghana, in Africa, on a project called the Kariba Dam, K-A-R-I-B-A, Kariba Dam. Um, and he was away for, well, it was over a year, I think, or 18 months, you know, working away. Um, and my mum had to look after myself and my brother, who was approximately two years older than me, my sister as well, who was older still. So my mum had three people to look after. So he used to take me to my grandmother's in Bonness. At the start of every school holiday, like Easter, there used to be three weeks. I used to get three weeks at Easter. So she used to take me up there. Um, and in the summer, obviously, I was up there for seven, eight weeks. Um, in Bowness and uh, up there I took my cricket bat and I took my rugby ball uh, but <laughs> nobody played cricket or rugby um, in the spot in Bowness where my grandmother lived so uh, there was a garden next door to me and when I was there just kind of throwing a rugby ball up and kicking it up and catching it a football bounced over the, the fence of the garden next door so I, I picked it up and just volleyed it back to the lads that were playing in the garden and then they said do you want a game? Uh, I said, I thought, I said, well, I've never played before. They said, well, there's only five of us. We need somebody else for three aside in the garden. So I um, went and enjoyed my first real session kicking a ball about. Um, and literally just got such pleasure in playing with the other lads um, because I was at my grandmother's on my own um, that, the company was brilliant, um, but their chatter, the patter was absolutely superb. And uh, then uh, I had a little bit of an inkling that I quite liked this game. So when I went back to Hartlepool, I made friends with a boy that used to live around the corner called Ken Jessup, um, who died a few years ago, actually. Um, 
and he was older than I was, but played for a, a team called Central Park in the uh, Church League under 18s. And and I used to go and watch him play, and they used to play rugby at the school in the morning. I used to go and run the line for them as a linesman in the afternoon to watch my friend Kenny playing. And then I asked them, the manager, um, Mr. Stubbs, if if I could uh, join his football team, and he said, I mean, I was now about sort of fourteen at the time. And he says, Now come back when you're fifteen, because you'll get killed, because most of the lads are eighteen that are playing. Um, and obviously, I'd just started playing and kicking about, so. I literally wind on a year and and I went back and I'd been practicing and playing up in Scotland, you know, all the holidays and practicing in my backyard, you know, kicking the ball against the wall, kicking it against the the wall outside um, my house, um, which was the wall of a, a hairdresser's actually. And I got a complaint from the woman who came out and said, can you stop hitting that ball against the wall? Because all my clients here is this bang, bang, bang of your football hitting the wall. Because I used to do it continuously, left foot, right foot, for ages and ages. So, um, with a lot of practice, I managed to eventually get into my friend Kenny Jessup's side, Central Park, and play with him, which was brilliant for me because I loved, I loved, uh, you know, I, I appreciated his friendship. Because you never got on with your brother, and my brother was like, you know, about two years older than me, so he obviously knew everything, and I didn't. So, I, you make your own friends. So, I made a friend with Kenny Jessup got in the Central Park side, and then Brian Clough happened to take over as manager of Hartlepool's United, as they were called in those days. And um, he tried to revive the youth team because before he arrived at Hartlepool's United, they didn't have a youth team, they couldn't afford to run one. So he, he started up a youth team and he said, to choose the players, I want two players from every under-18 team in Hartlepool to, to play in trial matches so we can have a look at them. So he arranged this and of course Kenny and myself strangely enough we were the two that were picked from our team Central Park to go along for a trial and um, after I played in one trial match um, Peter Taylor happened to be there and with Brian Clough watching this trial match because obviously he got some other people to watch other trial matches just to see who the best players were. And there was a quote in the, the local paper saying that Peter Taylor had turned to Brian Clough and said, you know, lock the doors of the ground and don't open them till we've signed that skinny kid playing it outside right. Um, and that was me. I was the skinny kid playing it outside right. So I was chosen to play for the, the youth team. And then in a very short space of time, um, and this was my first season in football as well, at junior level. So it was kind of meteoric really that I, I played for Hartlepool youth team played for the reserve team and, and made my debut when I was just 16 and then went on to play a dozen games while I was still 16 at Hartlepool United When you um, look at the time you had at Hartlepool United as it was at the time how do you reflect on it now and what was a younger version of Brian Clough and Peter Taylor like? Because so many people associate yourself with the Derby era and the Nottingham Forest era, but yeah. you worked with them and they, they were a lot younger and, and you were as well. Well, it was Clough's first job as a manager. Uh, Peter Taylor, I think, was managing Burton Albion, but he joined him at Hartlepool. Um, and for me, it was, I mean, it was. this is my first experience of playing football at any level. So um, I just, the things that he said to me were 
common sense and I needed a little bit of guidance because I'd only been playing even football, you know, hadn't played at school. Only only played with my friend Kenny at Central Park. For This was the first season at Central Park. Uh, we won the cup and we runners up in the league, by the way. <laughs> um, so it was a case of I just followed everything that he told me. Uh, but the first thing that he did tell me was um, after he um, watched me play in one game before before the next match, you know, for the even for the youth team, he, he said, you know, get get a ball and bring it here now, you know. And he said, and I said, what do you want me to do with it? And he says, well. Run round the corner flag with the ball as fast as you can. So I ran round the corner flag, came back to him, and I said, "Was that all right, boss?" He says, "Now run round the corner flag and back without the ball." So I ran round the corner flag, came back to him, and he said, "Now what was easier, running with the ball or without the ball?" And of course, I said, "You know, without the ball, boss." And he says, "Well, why don't you try fucking passing it on a Saturday then?" <laughs> <laughs> Which. Uh, you probably realise is is the basis of all football and all decent players get it and they pass it and they move off the ball. Get it and pass it and move, look at Barcelona. Get it, pass it, move off the ball till you get to the edge of the opposition's penalty area and then you've got to try and make something happen. So I learned that lesson and it, funny enough, it stuck in my mind straight away. Pass the ball and then run without it. It's easier. Uh, it's, a, it's a message you should, a lot of Premier League players could learn now but that was the first kind of lesson he told me and then he, he taught me other things you know like just basics really but but everything basically he told me I didn't really know because I'd, I'd only just started to play football so I kind of took him at his word for what he said to me followed his instructions out there on the field and realised even at that tender age of sort of 16, 17 you know what he says is right and it doesn't just benefit myself it benefits other members of the team so I thought well now I will listen intently to what he says because I want to learn more and I want to become a good player and I started a scrapbook of Jimmy Greaves and Dennis Law Um, strangely enough who I ended up playing against (laughs) which is weird (laughs) when you're a kid and you've got the scrapbooks and you end up playing against them so so at Hartlepool it was a a real learning curve for me um, but I was I was a very attentive pupil, if you like, to the, the things that Brian Clough told me, you know, about football. I mean, he was quite abrasive at times, but he's got a group of lads he's got to whip into shape. So, you know, he, I even expected a little bit of that. I thought he's got... People said, I bet he was really strict. And I said, you've not met my mum, have you? <laughs> so she could teach him a thing or two. Um, so so eventually uh, I told my mum that I wanted to be a footballer um, my grandmother was staying with us at the time she'd come down to stay with us for a change um, and my mum says no you're going back to school you're, you, your dad wanted you to get an education you know my dad had died when I was 11 so and uh, he said you wanted you to but eventually Taylor and Clough came round to my house one night my grandmother was there and well, they were around my house every other day trying to get me to sign for them. And eventually it was my grandmother that persuaded my mum to let me sign for Hartlepool United. You... And then I just, I got in the first team and, you know, things took off. You mentioned the fact it takes off during your time at the club. that You win promotion from, from the old first division. Um, Clough and Taylor, of course, then move on to Derby County. They are interested yeah, in you. Well, they, 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 they didn't, they weren't actually, they left and then Hartlepool were promoted the year after they yeah. left. 
Yeah. No, it's just so you get that right. You know, the the side they put together literally won promotion because there was only, I think, two new players that were added to the squad the following season. But we won promotion and Klopp was at Derby with Taylor, obviously, building a side there. So I'm glad they left me at Hartlepool and we won promotion because, you know, it was it was history-making. You know, we won promotion. We actually got a civic reception. Can you believe that? <laughs> so, big things. <laughs> And in terms of that promotion, so early on in your career, it's a big achievement. How did it make you feel when you win promotion and Clough and Taylor are still interested in you and want to take you to Derby, which is, in a sense, for you, two promotions in a row? Well, the I used to have a problem running because I had a, a muscle missing out my back. So my style looked very, very awkward when I was running. And it was awkward when I was running. It was a real handicap to me. Because it meant that I've got a disjointed kind of running motion while my right arm's going forward and backwards to propel me. and My left arm's kind of going across my body. Um, I found out later that I was born with a muscle missing out on my back. And that's why I was like round-shouldered on my left side. And it made my running style look terrible. And I used to hate ever seeing myself on television because it looked that bad. And I was never the favourite of the fans because I was like the ugly duckling, really. Um, but Clough just saw the end product when I had the ball. So so he kind of, well, didn't forgive that because, you know, he, you've got to play well to please him. But for me, it was a massive handicap to, to overcome. You know, I mean, I was told by a doctor when I reached Nottingham Forest that we could break about five different bones in my, my shoulder and <laughs> the top of my arm and everything, and, and it might might correct it but obviously by that time I've, I've been at Derby won league championships and um, semi-final European Cup so I said well no I'll just leave it the way it is um, so so I had this massive handicap to overcome with look, looking ungainly running and being the butt of the, the fans every club that I played for um, but I suppose you'd say that I was very determined to, to try and overcome that and I practiced to keep the ball with both feet. I practiced, actually, I learned how to head the ball because when you start off as an outside right, you're not the one that's heading it, you're the one that's crossing it. So it took uh, me getting to Derby um, and then Peter Taylor suggesting that I move into to midfield and then Clough actually plays me in midfield and, of course, I, I took to that like a duck to water because I'd been playing for Derby Reserves on the right-hand side and as a winger. Um, and and Clough, Clough called me once and said, look, I've had a... Oh, no, Peter Taylor, it was, called me in, in before training one day and said, I've had a bad report about your game for the reserves. And I said, well, what do you mean you've had a bad report? He said, well, you never got a kick in the game. You know, I said, no, I never got a kick because I never got the ball. So Peter Taylor then suggested that I play central midfield. And I said, well, I'll go and get the ball then. You know, so I had to try and brush up on that physical tackling but I was fortunate to play with somebody called Dave Mackay <laughs> <laughs> and he he kind of showed me the, base, the basics of like trying to tackle people but you know Dave, Dave was like a steamroller you know when he hit somebody you know they had the ball you know it was a sight to see but I, I learned to tackle in my own way not the same as Dave because he was a he was a defender who'd been playing playing that way for years and years and years so I learned my trade at Derby to the full extent, really. Um, you know, winning the second division championship my first season there, 
which then meant I was playing in the first division um, and I'm the youngest player to play in all four divisions of the Football League still. So that was a nice achievement to get under my belt, but it was it was just success on the field that came, you know, with promotion at Derby, second division championship, and then a couple of years later, obviously the first division championship, and then a taste of European football after that before we got knocked out in the semi-final of the European Cup by Juventus. And in terms of yourself, you mentioned that record. At the age of 19, you've played in all four major divisions in England. You're at Derby, you've won the second division, you then go on to win the first division. Yeah. How do you reflect back in your time at Derby as a whole? Because again, with Clough, so many people focus on the Forest era, but the Derby era was equally as impressive in many ways. Well, it was because, uh, you know, we we got promoted, um, won the second division championship by seven points. And then a couple of years later, we win the first division championship, you know. Um, so the rise of Derby from sort of second division to first division to then champions, you know, it's taken taken club three years to gain second division championship promotion and then first division championship. So, you know, it was it was kind of in double quick time if you like, you know, but most of that was down to Clough's burning sort of ambition and drive and Peter Taylor's brilliant recruitment of players. I mean players like Dave Mackay, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have come along club wouldn't have known to sign Dave Mackay, but Peter Taylor was a the sort of talent scout, if you like, a recruitment officer, as well as being an assistant manager and, you know, that that's they brought in great players. You know, Club brought in people like Colin Todd, who he'd he'd seen at Sunderland, you know, before he had before he had to pack up because of his knee injury at Sunderland. He'd seen Colin Todd John O'Hare, he came from Sunderland. Um, you know, so Club brought in some of the players, but most of them were recruited by Peter Taylor. Players like Roy McFarland eventually, and then Colin Todd, you know, great players, Kevin Hector, you know, Willie Carlin. So they put together a great side at Derby that, you know, won the, won the league and then, you know, got to the semi-final of the European Cup, which wasn't bad at the first attempt in Europe. Absolutely, and, and when you look at the success of the Derby era, and, and we will go on to talk about Forrest, the question I've been—I'll be honest with you—I've been desperate to ask you, and you've probably had it a thousand times. What was it about Clough and Taylor that, when they worked together, it just clicked? Because as a partnership, arguably the best ever. Well, my my take on it is that you've got two sort of you know really ambitious people that are brilliant at, at different assets. You know, they've got different assets. If they were both brilliant at, like you know educating the team and telling them about discipline and how you commit yourself, then, you know, you might only need plus, but you need players to do that too. And you need good players. And if you've got somebody that recommends a player who's much better than the player he's going to replace, and Peter Taylor was absolutely brilliant at the players he brought in and some of them for next to no money. So they actually brought in and built sides on a budget. They didn't do it for nothing because obviously at Derby County, Colin Todd became the most expensive defender. David Nish became the most expensive fullback in the game. You know, but they would got literally Dave McKay for nothing, Willie Carly nothing for nothing, um, or, or 30000 or something in those days. Um, and people like myself, they paid 6000 for me and I'm playing in a, a side that's got to the semi-final of the European Cup. That's not bad for 6000 is it? So, so, you know, this is the genius. They're, they're both good at different things they're both brilliant at different things but united it makes them even stronger and in terms of 
your relationship with Clough after Derby. You leave Derby, you go to Leeds United where Clough goes in to replace Don Don Reeve. Obviously, the, the book that was written is, is pretty much trash, as so many people have said, including the Clough family. The film is, is, I suppose, more entertaining, but I know you've went on record the same before. It doesn't necessarily paint reality. What was the reality of Clough at Leeds? Was was that the first well, the, time the you'd seen him look vulnerable? No, the players didn't want him. That's basically it. You know, the, the players uh, and I ganged together and said, we don't want him here. Um, he'd been critical of them, obviously, with a physical nature of their game, which they were, they were well, well known for. Um, and and he tried to sort of educate them in his... But they never accepted him at all. I mean, I, I didn't realise... I mean, I thought, well, you know, they're a great side, uh, but Brian Clough's won the league at Derby, so they can't say he can't manage. You know what I mean? And the side he left at Hartlepool won promotion. So uh, I went to Leeds with a kind of a little bit of hesitancy, but I knew if Clough's there, you know, that I'll get a fair crack to the whip. And that's all I was looking for. But, you know, when when you run out to make your home debut and you get booed by the fans before you've even kicked a ball in front of them, you know, it's not going to be easy. And, and, and again, being the butt of the fans was was hard to, to take and the only person that really upset was my other half who came to the last game I played for the first team when they booed me and she was in tears because of the criticism but when you're playing in a side and you've got your own players selling your hospital balls and when you pass to them they're, they're slowing down to make it look like it's a bad ball because the opposition get it <laughs> it, it isn't going to be easy so but I managed to try and keep myself together kept myself exceptionally fit um, and eventually obviously Clough after he'd been sacked took over at Nottingham Forest and uh, I'd already spoken to Alan Ashman at Carlisle about possibly signing for them and John Bond at Norwich about signing for them but Clough came in with an offer from Nottingham Forest and I thought well it's just better working for someone that you understand and that understands you so I managed to get away from Leeds United despite the horrific abuse that I got. Um, they talk about people getting picked on. <laughs> so after my last game at Leeds, my good lady who was in tears says, let's get out of here. And I said, no, I'm going in the supporters club. And she said, what? I said, I'm going to go and have a drink in the supporters club. I said, you stay in the car. And she wouldn't stay in the car. And we walked in the supporters club and a couple of beer mats thrown in my direction and I walked up to the bar and said, I want half a Guinness, please, and just looked at the guy behind the bar and he looked a little hesitant as to whether he should serve me or not. But he, he, he gingerly looked around him and then poured me a half a Guinness, put it on the bar and said, this one's on me. And I drank it slowly and was still getting abused. People were shouting nasty, horrible things. And when I finished my drinking my time, I walked out and my other half hand she said don't ever do that to me again I said I told you to wait in the car she said but why would you do that go in there amongst all that abuse and take even more abuse I says they can't beat me I said they can scream and shout as much as they want and I've gone through it all before even at Hartlepool my first team and even at Derby so a bit of abuse from Leeds fans I'm just showing them they can't beat me and then of course every time that I go to Leeds United's ground now, whether it was a commentator for BBC Radio Nottingham or as club ambassador for Nottingham Forest, I just wear my European Cup and a tie.
and let everybody have a look at it. <laughs> I love that. I have to say, I love that. And when when you go to to Forest initially, Peter Taylor isn't there with Brian Clough as he takes the job. That's right. That's uh, right. And uh, I actually said to John O'Hare, you know, it's almost as if you know Brian Clough's kind of going through the motions. You know, there isn't the same sort of real venomous attack on players if they do something they shouldn't. Um, but then eventually, Peter Taylor. Joined Brian, you know, after a year, and then we just took off. It just took off. Um, you know, again the recruitment of players. Although I did say that he was a little bit fortunate, or him and Peter were a little bit fortunate because they had Ian Boyer, Viv Anderson, Tony Woodcock, Martin O'Neill. Um, so they had they had five players. Is that right? Wait a minute, Boyer. On John Robertson, so so they got five players that are you know going to end up being international players. So so they had the basis of a of a side. They still had to get the best out of them, which Clough was an expert at doing. But then they they brought in when we won promotion, scraped we scraped promotion the last game of the season, I think. Um, we signed Peter Shilton, Archie Gemmell, and Kenny Burns. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you add you add that kind of quality to a team that's young, definitely hungry, definitely as ambitious as the managers, and you've got the perfect formula because they've got bags of ability as well. And then you break the British transfer record by signing a million pound player. So, but is he worth it? He scores the winner in the first European Cup final. So as soon as he scores that, the million pound fee is forgotten altogether. Because it was cheaper for what for what he helped the club achieve. So the, then, obviously, we produced the the miracle of actually retaining the European Cup at the first attempt. When when and you then, look at uh, when you look at that achievement, John, as you've said, the European Cup obviously it's quite interesting. I find not Forest won it twice, which is incredible, but just from a at a fan's point of view, you win it in Munich and you win it in Madrid, which is two great places to really win the European Cup and stamp your authority on the world game. Was what? How did Clough approach Europe? Was it the exact same approach he had with domestic football that served him so well, or did he change it up in those European games? No, he never changed. Uh, we never changed the tactics much. I mean, he'd mentioned one thing. I think. I think once he played Archie Gemmell, who's left sided, he played him right side. Uh, because um, I think the Liverpool fullback. I'm just trying to think of his name now. It was really good at coming forward. He just so, it, but tactically, hardly changed the thing. Um, it just put you in the right frame of mind when you went out there and, and you were expected to do your job, and you were expected to know your job. Uh, I mean, in, in the early days, you know, he used to say to me, "Listen, I pay you to play midfield." And if he can't play midfield, I'll find someone else that will. You know, he didn't. He didn't say I wanted you to do this. He wanted you to do what you were good at, and he wanted you to try and improve on the things that you weren't good at. Just try. He didn't mind you making mistakes as long as you took responsibility. But you had to take responsibility and try and create things for the team, or, or, or you know, stop the opposition from scoring against the team. So, a lot of it is is just basic things that that you know. I look at modern football and I don't think a lot of them appreciate some of the basic things they should be doing much better but 
you know, the sad part about their story was that they then fell out after we'd won the European Cup for the second time. And their partnership was never repaired. I suppose it's like a husband and wife, you know, they got a divorce. <laughs> or they were separated to start with and good luck to that. But they never they never got back together. I don't think they spoke. I don't think they ever spoke again after the, the fallout. So I mean, eventually I went into to management, which most players try and do, and went to Bolton Wanderers as player manager. But the... Uh, I mean, I've got the memories, and the memories are fantastic. I lived the dream as a professional footballer. I loved every minute of it. I was very fortunate to be in that era where somebody called Peter Taylor had a look at me and told Brian Clough that I could play. And I spent the rest of my career trying to prove to people I could play that thought I couldn't. But he didn't pick me because he liked me. <laughs> he never did anything because he liked anybody. He didn't really like anybody. He appreciated them if they did a job for him. But that's about as far as it got. But that's that's been a professional, isn't it? In terms of yourself, what what I like is you've got um, a player like John Robertson, um, who was iconic again. The the final against um, Hamburg and and what I like about that game is, as you know, there was so much attention on Kevin Keegan, World Player of the Year, and mm. and and a lot of people I think maybe. Suspected they would be favourites, but you you play a great a great game as a team. John Robertson, as Brian Clough famously said, could turn anyone inside out. And John Robertson's quote about yourself is brilliant. As far as I'm concerned, John McGovern is what epitomises what every good side needs. And then you've got Brian Clough. He never stopped going. He never stopped running. And he was also a reasonably intelligent young man. How do those yeah, quotes that, make you feel? Well, that's a bit. Of... Reasonably intelligent, yeah, I suppose he's right. You know, <laughs> footballers don't tend to be, you know, university students. Um, we all come from working class, class backgrounds, or did in those days. So, uh, I mean, it's. <laughs> I like to think I was a bit more than reasonably intelligent. I was quite intelligent. Not academic, but, you know, I thought I was quite intelligent. But, no, his description was right. I was exceptionally fit. I, I, would, I would back... Um, Gary Bertles and myself and Archie Gemmell to, to outrun anybody in the modern game over the, the 90 minutes. Mainly because we had to run through six inches of mud half the time and the Derby pitch and the Forest pitch because we played that many games on them. They were worn out halfway through the season with the number of cup matches and league matches we'd played. But when it comes to fitness, I'd, Gary Bertles, Archie Gemmell and myself, we'd, we'd, we'd be able to outrun any of the, or, or keep up easily with the with the modern day players with their supposed supposed extra fitness. And when you look at the forest success in Europe, again a lot of people obviously talk about Celtic being the first sort of British side to win it and the focus on Billy McNeil as the captain lifting that trophy. You were the captain yes. for both European Cup successes when you win it back to back. How did it yes. feel as captain to lift that big trophy aloft? The only greater feeling I've had was when I held my son in my arms for the first time as a dad. That's the only thing to beat that, just because it, beat, it beats it into a cocked hat, actually. But it is a magnificent feeling that you get, um, you know, A, to represent a team of players that were as good as we were, and B, to lift the number of trophies, you know, League Championship, League Cups, you know, as, as the captain. Um, so it's a, a wonderful feeling, you know. It's it's like an adrenaline rush, but 
you keep you keep doing it, you know, as I did, you know, season after season under Brian Clough and Peter Taylor. So you, you, and then eventually, you know, that it has to end sometime. But you think, wow, look at look at the look at the days, look at the trophies, look at the supporters, you know, and, and look at the records, which will stand forever. So you feel you have achieved something in the game. You know, as I mentioned to you, my style was like horrific. If, if I was around at my friend's house or something or, or, or a friend of mine's house and, and one of our matches came on, I used to switch it off because uh, I just looked such an ugly runner. Um, and I was. But I didn't want to go through the process of somebody breaking five bones in my fucking shoulder and my, my back to try and correct a fault that I, that I managed to live with. Um, even the clothes that I wore. I had to get a tailor to put a special padding on the left-hand side of my, my, my suit if I bought one. Um, on the odd occasion, I could actually pay a tailor to do that, which was in my, my matter days, because I used to put jackets on and the, where my bent left shoulder was, they're all creased. So, so I didn't, you know, I didn't even look good in a suit. <laughs> which was, uh, but I've never been that vain about how I look. Um, only vanity's the figure I've got. I could still play now if you looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't, but my figure's still very, very good <laughs> for a 70-year-old. In terms of yourself, the last main wait, question... Wait, wait a minute, my good lady said 71. <laughs> she thinks I'm trying to steal the years. <laughs> oh, brilliant. The last, the last main question I've got for you, John, because I don't want to take up your, your full day here... Um, you got into the the Scottish Football Hall of Fame. You captained a side like Forest to back to back European Cups. You've won the First Division on uh, numerous occasions. You've won the League Cup on a couple of occasions. The Super Cup, Second Division, promotion from the Fourth Division. Even as a manager, the Football League trophy as well. How do you reflect <laughs> in your time in football overall? Because so many players would would give anything for just even a tenth or a fifth of your career. Well. There's an advert on the television where there's a guy advertising a phone company and he's from Lancashire and he goes, that'll do. <laughs> Yorkshire's just saying, it's got, got the counties mixed up. Yeah, you know, they go, that'll do. And uh, that'll do. Uh, in that sense, it was... Uh, I look back on it just with lots of love and affection. Um, and thankfully, the way I was brought up by my, my kind of mum and dad and special mention to my mum because she gave me that little bit of grit because um, when I started out with a family in Montrose there's, there's the three kids and the two parents living in a, a two-roomed terraced house and somebody said to me oh you mean two bedroom and I said no two rooms I says with a curtain drawn to separate our beds from my mum and dad's bed so when you go through the, the working class man's thing I'm, I'm not saying it's a rags to riches story but there's an appreciation of everything that you achieve when you know you come from having next to no money at all so I was just pleased with what I did for the game and delighted I played with the players I did I mean people like Dave Mackay and John Robertson I will mention them because they're Scots as well but Archie Gemmell and everybody in John O'Hare were brilliant and Kenny Burns and and I was just, it was a pleasure for me to play with them. And I always tried to show them that I was worthy of staying in the side, despite what the supporters at every club thought. In fact, I get more compliments now 
from Nottingham Forest fans I speak to because they said we never thought you could play they said then when you were out the side the team didn't do as well so you must have had something <laughs> there you are I must have had something so we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open they'll be filled with song they'll be filled with song we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make her